Here we go. Not again. Uh-uh. Not today, Satan. So we can trust him. We can trust we Jesus. We can trust him. We cannot trust Satan. We can trust him. Come on. Oh, we can trust him. everybody what a great way to start the day today huh god's not worried so why do i worry i mean if you really think of that statement god isn't worried and if we're made in the image of god then why do we worry this is a very valid question and i think if you ask yourself that every single day i know there's some people in here that said that they are you know, having problems, they're worrying too much. They're, 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 they're having too much anxiety. And I said to him, worry is from the devil. Worry is not from God because God can't worry. What would, he be, what would he be worried about? He's already seen our tomorrow. God has already met us in our tomorrow. He was with us in our past. And he's already with us in our future. There is nothing to worry about. Nothing. Not politically. 
not physically, not spiritually. As long as you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior anyway. You can't beat God. Somebody just put in the comment thread. That's exactly right. You can't beat him. So you might as well join him. Right? That goes back to that old saying, if I'm wrong and you're right, no harm, no foul. I, I lived a good life. If I'm right and you're wrong, <laughs> right? So you might as well join him. It's that insurance policy. Uh, but it's a heck of a lot more than that. It's, sal- it's salvation. It's freedom. It's, uh, it's chain breaker. You know what I mean? Kara Moore said, I just shared that song with my four kids. Beautiful. God's not worried. So why should I worry? You know, ladies and gentlemen, I want to get back to what I was just talking about there. Uh, it actually made me think of something. Um, when I said God has already seen our tomorrow, think about this, okay? God, for all of you people out there that are worried, for all you people out there that are a- anxiety-driven, for all you people out there that are lonely, for all you people out there that feel stuck and sluggish, let me tell you something right now. God does not see a caterpillar. God does not see a caterpillar when that caterpillar is all wrapped up in a cocoon and can't move. No sunlight, no freedom. God sees the butterfly. When God sees the butterfly, that is God already meeting you in your future. He's already there. He already sees the wings. He already sees you flying free. He already sees you out of that cocoon a beautiful butterfly. That's what God sees. God does not see the caterpillar that's all bound up inside the cocoon. And that is what you are when you are worried. That is what you are when you fear. That is what you are. You are a caterpillar in a cocoon, not free, no sight uh, no, no, no light at the end of the tunnel. And then one day, boom, you're a butterfly. Now, do you think that that caterpillar, when he's in that cocoon, you think he's, you know, thinking about, wow, I'm stuck here forever. No, he knows he's going to come out of it. The caterpillar knows he's going to come out of it. He knows he's going to be a butterfly. And that's what God wants us to do. When we're in that cocoon, right? When we're a caterpillar, all bound up, God wants us to know that he's with us and he wants us to know that sooner or later he's going to bring us out of it. And when he brings us out of it, we're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be moving along the ground on our belly anymore. No, 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 we're going to fly free. So that is the best analogy that I can give uh, when you feel that way is a caterpillar and a butterfly. And like I said, God sees you as a butterfly. He does not see you stuck in a cocoon all bound up like a caterpillar. I hope that analogy helps some people out there. Um, CQ says worrying is a sin. Yeah, it is. Because God says any kind of fear at all is definitely a sin. You don't have to fear, especially if you know Jesus exists. If you know God exists. If 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 you've accepted him. Well, then, yes. Worrying and fear, they say, that the Bible says, is a sin. Lala says, how do we get out of the ad before video con- cocoon? I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I also know it's J-Dog's birthday today. 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear J-Dog. Happy birthday to you. I hope you have a great birthday. Folks, I titled today's show, Wilderness versus Wilderless. Now, I know that doesn't make any sense because wilderless isn't a word. A better way to maybe have titled this show is Two Wildernesses. Now, and, and, and that's really what I want to break down today. I want to break down the two wildernesses that we experience. So I titled today's show Wilderness before Wilderless. Uh, Lala says, all the ads before the videos play now, I can't stand it, LOL. I know, but it's guess what? It's just like uh, YouTube. You wait two seconds, skip. You wait two seconds, skip, and you're there. I get it. It's annoying, but it's a way for Rumble to stay on as a platform, and we need Rumble to stay as a platform. We need it. So make sure you hit that skip button so you don't have to watch it. But Rumble needs to stay a platform. You see what happened? You see how we're attacked, right? You see how, where would we go without a Rumble? Where would we go without the free speech that we have right here on Rumble? J-Dog said, oh my goodness, that made my day. Yamane said, hi family, with a couple butterflies. I really like that. I really like that. Um, Today is my daughter's birthday, says Wayne. Wayne, please tell your daughter that we here at Rise Up said happy birthday and God bless and we love her, okay? Um, Yes, we need Rumble. That's exactly right. Let's not be too quick to complain about Rumble. Rumble needs to pay the bills. Uh, So, you know. Um, Jeremy, say a prayer for Majogo's mom. Uh, Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we we pray for for anybody's uh, parents or anybody's sibling or anybody's family who's going through a rough time right now, specifically uh, Majogo, asking for prayers uh, for Majogo's mother, that, uh, that Lord, you are with, uh, with the family uh, during whatever hard time that they're going through, Lord, and that they can lean on you and that you can get them through the wilderness. Amen. Happy birthday to Wayne's daughter. That's right. Two five-second ads are not that bad to get to the content. No, they're not that bad, but they are annoying. I will say they are annoying. Uh, Caramore said, Rumble wouldn't come on my TV last night. Yeah, there were some issues last night, that's for sure. All right, let's get into my description. I said, the wilderness is a place where we have all been spiritually. God allows us to go through these moments so that we can depend on him. That's what he wants us to do. Now, God doesn't bring bad things to us. Sin and Satan does. However, God is there to accompany you through that sin, to accompany you through that tough time, through that trial, in order to for iron to sharpen iron, because you need to think of your life here as the womb when you were in your mom's belly. Okay? Let's think about that. There are stages of life just like there are stages of heaven. Right? When God plucked your beautiful soul from heaven and gave you a body... That was one life changing into another life in a different world, in a different realm. When you were in your mom's belly, you could hear your father out here, but you could not touch him because you were in a different world. You were in a different realm as far as you were concerned, and you were growing so that you could get to this world. This world is another growth period for you. It's, it's a longer growth period, I'll give you that. 
but it is another growth period for you until you go to the next portion of your life, which is back to the spiritual realm. And it's getting you ready for that. It is humbling you here. It is no different than Jesus. Jesus is a man from God. God manifests himself into flesh. Same thing happened to you. God manifests you into flesh and you became a human being just like Jesus. And just like Jesus prepared all of, the, uh, of us, prepared a way for all of us, it is now our turn to learn and do what we're sent here to do so that we can prepare our children and the next and then we go to another world. So all we're doing here is learning, growing, becoming humble, relying on God. So when he lets you go through these tough times, it is so that you will learn how to rely and how to depend on him fully. Now, I know it sounds like hyperbole, and I know it sounds like, oh, yeah, I hear this all the time from Christians. But do you actually apply it to your life? That is the question. When you know what hits the fan, do you absolutely lose your mind? Do you crumble? Do you fold? Do you break down? Are you unable to take two, three, four, five, six things happening to you at once? Think of Job. You have to think of Job. And if you don't know who Job is, I very, very, very highly suggest that you read the book of Job. Do you actually apply leaning on God and relying on God in those problems? Now, I know you can, you'll never be perfect at it, but you must be better than you were a month ago at it. Mary says the tough times are just lasting so long. Why do you think that is? And I can tell you from my own experience, the longer the tough times last, something is going on where you're not giving it fully to God and you're not relying on God and you're trying to pull it onto yourself. Because you need to learn how to do this through that tough time. Or else they're going to prolong. It's very, very important for you to understand that. Because when we rely on him, it helps us uh, through it safely, making us stronger on the other side. Making us a butterfly on the other side. I can promise you that most of us have never even experienced an ounce of what Job experienced, and he still relied on God. That is how God wants us to be. What happens if you don't rely on God in those moments? What happens if you are lost in the wilderness? In the wilderness. Let's talk about it. So the difference between being in the wilderness and being wilderless, it's a word I made up today, is that when you're in the wilderness, you can be with God. When you're in the pits of hell here on earth, you can be with God. However, you can also take that same person, put him in the same scenario, in the same geographical or, or physical or spiritual location, where they're in the wilderness without God. That's wilderless. 
not wilderness. See, there are two types of wildernesses. Okay? I got some notes here. There are two types of wildernesses in the Bible, isn't there? There's the wilderness that Jesus was in for 40 days and for 40 nights. But then there's the wilderness that the Israelites were in for 40 years. Kittenhead said, Jeremy, I tried to explain why Jesus was nailed to the cross from yesterday and it didn't come out right. Can you make that a short clip, please? Uh, I actually explained it to my wife last night. and She started crying. She could not believe what I was telling her. She knew immediately what I was talking about, uh, about how what was taken must be given back. There must be a payment made in the same way, in the same fashion it was taken. My wife cried when I told her that last night when I got home. Absolutely cried when I told her that. So let's get back into this wilderness thing. There are two wildernesses. There's the wilderness with God, and there's the wilderness, which is without God. Now, the Israelites, 40 years. Why? Why were they in the wilderness for 40 years, and Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days? What's the difference? I can tell you the difference. Because in the wilderness that Jesus was in, he was relying on God, he was sacrificing, and he knew that God would bring him out the other side through all the temptations, through all of the trials, through all of the tribulation and adversity, Jesus knew and had faith that God was going to bring him out of that in one piece, very much more strong than, uh, very str- uh, stronger than he was spiritually before he went in. That was the whole reason. The Israelites, the reason they spent 40 years is because they grumbled, they mumbled, they complained, they did not rely on God. So folks, there are two witnesses, I mean two wildernesses, I mean. The wilderness with God and the wilderness without God, which we call wilderless. You're either going to rely on God or you're not. And if you don't rely on God in your dry time, in your dry season, in your wilderness, well, then you might just be stuck there for, I don't know, 40 years. Somebody asked, was that scripture-based information on the cross? Well, it's all scripture-based, but it was more revelation from the Holy Spirit to me pointing to scripture to prove that that is far more than just a coincidence. God is all about symbolism and sacrifice. Am I wrong or am I right? God is all about symbolism and sacrifice. And what is taken away must be put back. There must be payment made. And the fact that these were all so perfectly aligned with taking from the Garden of Eden, taking from what God gave to begin with, There's no question. The Holy Spirit revealed that to me. There's no question. Now, getting back to the two wildernesses. Do you want to be in the wilderness for 40 years or do you want to be in the wilderness for 40 days? The choice is yours, ultimately. So there are two wildernesses. You can grumble, mumble, and complain and be stuck for 40 years or you can rely on God and be out of it in 40 days. A new butterfly you choose. You choose. 
Before we get into this, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. We have not done that yet, and we're 26 minutes past the hour. L. Jacob says Satan is also about symbolism and sacrifice. You're right. He's about the evil side of it, though. He wants to copy God. See, a lot of people think that there's two equals, God and Satan, good and evil. Satan isn't even close to equal with God, ladies and gentlemen. He tries to be. He copies him like Levette copies Donald Trump. But he'll never be an equal. There is no equal. It is God standalone. There is no equal. What did Jesus mean when he was dying on the cross and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus became the very thing that God hates. He became the sin of the world. That's why. And Jesus' flesh human side of him was coming out at that point, the same it was coming out in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and asking, God, please don't make me go through this, but ultimately let your will be done, not mine. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Father in heaven, we thank you so very much. Lord, we thank you so very much for revelation. We thank you so very much for trials and tribulation. We thank you that we can be in the wilderness and not wilderless, that we can be with you, that you will be with us during those trials and tribulations, hard times, anxiety, and moments of depression, so that we know we can rely on you so we can get out of it and fly like a butterfly. Lord, I know it's a lot easier said than done. But Lord, we ask today that you strengthen us so that it can be a lot easier done than said. Lord, we ask that you give us supernatural power so that we can overcome the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh are depression. The the desires of the flesh are constant roller coasters of emotions. Lord, let us stay solid. Let us stay equal in our emotions with you. Lord, please work with me today. Work through me today. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me today as we continue this Godcast of Revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So right, Jeremy. God is the best. Exactly. 40 days on the ark, 40 days for Jesus in the desert, 40 years for the Israelites. The number 40. Right. Now we're starting to get deep, aren't we, guys? Now we're getting deep. Uh, Ivanister says, thank you, Lord. I'm not alone. You are with me. Why did this just repeat itself like the movie Groundhog Day? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Amen, Jeremy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Amen, 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 amen. Okay. So we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Somebody brought that up. Well, they brought up the why have you forsaken me, and then I, it triggered me to think of the Garden of Gethsemane. So while we're talking about the fact that there are two wildernesses, let's also talk about the fact that there are two gardens. Two gardens. Jeremy, what are you talking about? Well, this ties very closely to the wilderness thing. And I'll bring it all full circle here in just a minute. The Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, let your will be done, not mine. Not my will, but your will be done. What was Jesus doing 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was once again displaying his faith and his reliance on Father God Yahweh in heaven. He knows he's about to die the most brutal death on earth. He knows he's going to be brutalized and beaten and ripped apart and tore apart and broke down until his soul leaves his body. He's sweating droplets of blood. Tell me, have you been in a trial like that? And what did he do? He did the same thing he did in the, in the, in the wilderness. He relied on God. So now you have another instance. You had the wilderness where he relied on God. And God got him through it and made him bigger, better, stronger than he ever could be. Spiritually, physically, mentally, all of it. You've got the wilderness with the Israelites that did not rely on God and they were disobedient. Jesus was obedient and the Israelites were disobedient. So it took them a lot longer. Now we have two gardens. We have the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was obedient. You understand where I'm at here? You all, are you all with me here? There's symbolism here that we've got to connect. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, droplets of blood sweating from his forehead, crying out to the Lord, I don't want to have to do this. Please take this cup from me and give it to someone else. God says, no, it must be you, son. Jesus says, okay, and he's obedient. And because of Jesus' obedient, uh, his obedience in the Garden of Gethsemane, we get to be with God when we die. There's a new covenant because Jesus did that. He was obedient. What about the other garden? The garden you might all know about. The Garden of Eden. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Disobedience. Disobedience happened in the Garden of Eden. So you've got one garden of obedience. You've got another garden of disobedience. You've got a wilderness of obedience. You've got a wilderness of disobedience. And now I'm going to bring it all home for you. Are you ready? Are you ready to bring it all home? You ready to hit that home run? Here we go. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And also by one man's obedience, or excuse me, by one man's disobedience, many, many men, many people were made sinners. And by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. So my question to you all today is, how are you acting? Are you acting like Jesus? Are you being Christ-like in your decisions? Are you relying on God or are you not? And I think the best way to answer that question for yourself is, am I getting out of these trials with God and becoming a better person or are these trials continuing to to lurk and stay around? If they are, then maybe you're not being obedient. So like I said, There are two wildernesses. There are two gardens. And there are two ways 
of living your Christian life or your life. You can either live it in obedience or you can live it in disobedience to your creator. You choose. What is your response to the terrible things that happened in your life? That's what you need to ask yourself. What is my response? How do I react? Now, I can tell you from experience that before God, I reacted like I was the one in charge. I reacted like it is my, it falls on me, it's my responsibility to set the record straight and to control the situation. And I got to tell you, you know what that led to? That led to anger. That led to lashing out. That led to saying things that I didn't want to say. And that led to division in my friendships and my family. As soon as I started responding to massive things coming, massive attacks coming at me in a different way, with God as part of that decision, you got to understand, ask Eli. Eli will tell you. If Eli, if you're in the chat, Eli's not here today, folks. So, you know, that's why things seem a little bit, you know, more basic here. Um, ask Eli. Eli said to me the other day, it was like a week ago, two weeks ago, he said, something serious happened. I don't even remember what it was. It was like detrimental to the, to the network. And Eli says, are you all right, dude? I said, why? What's up? I thought something else happened, you know? He says, I don't know. You're just taking this very different than you used to take things. I said, what is there? What, what can I do about it? What can I do about it? God will make a way. I'll just wait on him. And I got to tell you, ever since I made that decision to say, you know what? I'm just going to wait on God. I'm not going to react. I'm going to let God react and I'm going to follow. Anger's gone. I mean, I've had moments here where I've got upset, but no lashing out, no saying things I didn't mean, no division, literally just peace, love, joy, and happiness. And when they come, they just roll off the shoulder now. They don't stab me in the back. They don't stab me in the heart. They don't punch me in the face. They don't kick me in the stomach. They brush off my shoulder now. And boy, what a better way to walk through life. If you're walking from point A to point B, Do you want to stumble all over everything, trip and fall? Do you want it to be like those old pyramid movies where you go in and you're searching for the treasure and you got all these booby traps coming down? You got the swinging axe. You've got the rolling ball like on the uh, Indiana Jones. Or do you want to walk on a path and have all these things looking like they're coming at you But all it is is really just VR, right? It's not really hitting you. You're like, whoop, whoop, (laughs) whoop, whoop, whoa. I'm still, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Come on. I got to tell you, folks, apply it to your lives. When Schiff hits the fan, don't lash out. Don't get upset. Now, if you need to get upset, there is righteous anger. Don't get me wrong. But don't apply it the way Satan wants you to apply it. You can either be Jesus in the wilderness or you can be the Israelites in the wilderness. Right? You can either be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane or you could be Adam in the Garden of Eden. Which one would you rather be? 
I know where I'm choosing it. I know which one I'm choosing. I want to thank you all for joining in today. We are now 38 minutes past the hour. And I've got some stuff to show you. Um, there's a Ray Comfort video. I know it's not Monday. And I know it's not Friday. It's okay. But I worked a 15-hour day yesterday, folks. I worked a 15-hour day yesterday. And when I got home, you would think it'd be great to just fall asleep. That's not how things work, especially when you're in the news business. So I worked a 15-hour day yesterday, and then I got home, and I didn't get to bed until about midnight. Woke up at 6 this morning, back here this morning at 7. Usually here earlier than that. But uh, So what I'm going to do today is uh, I'm going to step back here for about 7, 8 minutes, and uh, I'm going to stop talking because I have a two-hour show coming up at 11, and I'm just going to play this brand-new uh, video by Ray Comfort, by the way, which he, which he titled, I've done over 2,000 interviews and never heard this. I have not seen this video yet. I'm watching it for the first time right alongside each and every one of you, okay? So if you guys don't mind some Ray Comfort on an off day, uh, it is a new video, and I'm watching it right along with you. So without further ado, uh, so I can save my voice a little bit for the, for the uh, 11 o'clock show, uh, Mr. Ray Comfort. Daniel, you said something I've never heard before, and I've interviewed thousands of people. You said you believe in spirits. You don't believe in God because you believe in something bigger than God. What on earth could be bigger than God? I went to uh, Catholic school and middle school, and um, they really pushed in God into us. I really strayed away from God from then. For a long time, I was an atheist, but um, I say there's a higher power. Like, uh, yes, we were created. But I don't believe in the, like, the Holy Spirit and God. So I hear what you're saying. There's a traditional belief in God that's revealed through religion. You've got an image of God that's different from what you've learned in Catholic school. Yeah. Is life a mystery to you? I say so. Do you believe in evolution or do you think God made man in his own image as male and female? I believe in evolution. So in the beginning was what? Um, it had to be nothing. Yeah, there had to be nothing. And then... How did nothing become life? Flowers and birds and trees, sun, moon, stars, puppies and kittens and seasons and fruits and the marvels of the human eye and the miracle of childbirth. All these things have got order to them. Nothing can't create all these things. So evolution is supposedly a process that happened, but it can't give any explanation as to what was in the beginning. Did you know evolution is received by blind faith? No, I did not. Yeah, because it doesn't pass a scientific test. To pass a scientific test, it has to be observable and testable. You can't test something that happened 60 million years ago, supposedly. But you can test what the Bible says. God made male and female in the beginning, and you can see that in all the species. Elephants, horses, cats, cows, everything is male and female, including human beings. And everything reproduces after its own kind, as the Bible says. Even trees. See that tree behind you? It's got seeds. They're not going to bring forth a different tree than what's growing there, because, as the Bible says, so that's observable and testable. Now, you said life's a mystery to you. You don't know why you're alive, what you're doing here, or where you're going. Is that right? That is right. So you're lost. In a way, I am lost. Although I don't know what's ahead of me, I have someone who's off camera 
that helps me with life. There she is, listening in. Can I have permission to show you? Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Feel free to button if I say something you don't agree with. Yeah, life is a mystery if you don't read the instruction book. The Bible is the instruction book, and it tells us why we're alive. We're created by God. We're created for God, for his pleasure, and his pleasure is our pleasure. And what happens after we die is we stand before God in judgment. So how are you going to do on judgment day? Are you a good person? I would say I'm a decent person. Morally? Yes. So let's go to the ninth commandment. How many lies have you told in your life? A lot. Ever stolen something? Including pencils and pens. <laughs> I have stolen teacher's pen. The value of that which you steal is irrelevant to God. If you open my wallet and just take one dollar out, you're as much a thief as if you took ten dollars out. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes. That's called blasphemy, punishable by death. One to go, and I know this is painful, but it's worth it. This is a killer. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Does she count? Of course. <laughs> you commit adultery in your heart when you do that. So here's a quick summation of your court case on Judgment Day. Daniel, you've told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart. And you have to face God on Judgment Day. If he judges you by those ten commandments, you're going to be innocent or guilty. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're thinking about. You'd be guilty like the rest of us. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yes. Did the Catholic Church ever tell you the Bible verse, the wages of sin is death? No. It's very famous. It's saying God is paying you in death for your sins. Like a judge who looks at a criminal who's committed murder, but he thinks he's a good person. The judge says, I'm going to show you how serious this is. I'm giving you the death sentence. This is your wages. This is what you've earned. And Daniel's sin is so serious to a holy God, he's given you the death sentence. You're on death row. And your death will be evidence to you that God is deadly serious about sin. Here's another question. Did the Catholic Church tell you how to find everlasting life according to the Bible? Um, yes, by donating to their church. <laughs> Let me tell you, have you ever heard the gospel? A few times, yes. What is the gospel? I say a few times, but I kind of don't remember. Yeah, the word gospel just means good news, and the good news is that God destroyed death 2,000 years ago. Let me, let me tell you how he did it. You've heard of Jesus dying on the cross? Yes. Most people have, but they haven't heard this, and this will change everything for you if you can get a grip of it. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. You and I broke the law. Jesus paid the fine. That's what happened on that cross. That's why he said it is finished just before he died. He was saying paid in full. If you're in court and you've got speeding fines, a judge will let you go. If someone pays the fines, he says, you're out of here. You're guilty, but you can leave because someone paid your fine. And it's legal. Well, God can legally take the death sentence off you because Jesus paid the fine 2,000 years ago. And then he rose from the dead and defeated death. And all you have to do, according to the Bible, to find everlasting life is repent of your sins. That's turn from them. And then trust in Jesus like you trust a parachute. One last question. If you're going to jump out of a plane 10,000 feet, why would you put on a parachute? To live. Yeah, and your motivation is fear. You don't want to hit the ground at 120 miles an hour. <laughs> and that fear is your friend, it's not your enemy, because it's making you put a parachute on. And Daniel, because I love you, and you too, because you've been listening, <laughs> I've tried to put the fear of God in you today, making you a little scared, hoping you'll see that fear as your friend, not your enemy, because it'll make you mean business with God, and you'll find everlasting life when you repent and trust in Christ. Is this making sense? Yes. You're going to think about what we talked about? Of course. So when are you going to repent and put your faith in Jesus? Um, when I explore a little bit in my life. It's like you and I are on the edge of a plane 10,000 feet up. 
I've got my parachute on, we're jumping any second. Mm -hmm. And I say, Daniel, can I put your parachute on? And you say, I just want to explore this a little. <laughs> the best thing I can do for you is hang you out the plane by your ankles for two seconds. You'll come back in and say, I can see what you're saying. Give me that parachute. Give it to me now. And I've tried to hang you out eternity by your ankles just for a couple of minutes and say, this is deadly serious. This is your life we're talking about. Examine the earnestness in my tone. Why am I talking like this? It's because I know what I'm saying is true and I really do care about you. And I want to see you in heaven, not in hell. And I don't want you to put this off because you may not be here tomorrow. You could die in your sleep tonight. 150,000 people die every 24 hours. 150,000, 54 million each year. And everyone's making plans for tomorrow not realizing that death can seize upon them. So I want you to think about it with that sense of seriousness. Can you do that? Yes. Do you have a Bible at home? I do. Can I give you a book I've written called Scientific Facts in the Bible? Yes. Would you like one too? Sure. <laughs> Let me get it for you. Hey, thanks for listening. And thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Now, Ray is such a great evangelizer. Um, and the way he makes people feel so incredibly comfortable and warm and willing to talk and and break down those barriers um so we've got this gentleman bob of atlantis in the chat saying that ray comfort is a used card salesman christian and he's cringe and it's because of people like ray comfort that ray or that bob left the church it seems like bob hasn't found his way back to the church uh, i keep asking bob uh who we love by the way Seems like he's a brother in Christ. I keep asking Bob, um, what is, what, where is Ray wrong? Where is Ray lying, Bob? You want to talk? I'd love for you to, I'd love for, I'd love to hear it. I'd, I'd like to know where Ray is wrong and what he's do or where he's lying. Because if he's just cringe, that's just your opinion. And that, it doesn't mean you're right or, or, or wrong. Okay. He says, I have indeed found my way back to the church. Then please tell me how Ray is wrong. Tell me where he's lying. And by the way, I would love to see your street evangelism. I would love to see how you street evangelize to strangers. And you put that on camera and you bring somebody to God, anybody, just one person. Just open up a door and, and plant a seed and I'll play your video. I'll play it. Because it, it isn't about winning or losing when it comes to street evangelizing. God wins. We don't win. So I would like to know how many people that you reach out to a week and try to bring to God. Because if the answer is zero, then you really can't sit here and down somebody and use things like cringy AF in a Christian show. I mean, it, you clearly, I'm not saying you haven't found your way back to the church, but the way you talk and the way you're criticizing people who are trying to spread the word of God is really, really, really troublesome. And the fact the fact that you can't say where he's lying or where he's wrong is also really troublesome. And going back to the used car salesman part of it, he's not selling anything. So how can he be a used car salesman? My issue with Ray is that he's using a sales deck so old that it doesn't work in the modern world. It does work in the modern world. You know how many people he brings to Christ? He even goes back and videos the people that were completely atheist or agnostic after he planted seeds, and they've become 100% Christian. So again, I'd like to know where he's doing something wrong. He makes people feel so warm and welcome to the word of God when they were so turned off by it and they were so off-put by it. 
So until you can say where he's lying or where it's not effective, the proof is in the pudding. It's clearly effective. Clearly. It's far more effective than what I've done. So, you know, uh, it's not that he's lying so much that he's focusing on his fire and brimstone technique that doesn't resonate with the message of peace of Jesus. It doesn't feel warm. It feels gross. He does not say anything about uh, fire and brimstone. He just says the wages of sin is death and you can spend eternity in hell. He doesn't start up. He's not one of those fire brimstone preachers and you know darn well he's not. You know what he did. I can pull one of those up right now. It's not even close. I appreciate that, Bob. He says, I don't think it's more effective than what you do, Jeremy. I appreciate that, but I can promise you it is. Ray is out there two, three, four times a day. Two or three, four times a day spreading the gospel to strangers, to young children, to to young adults all over the world, all over the country. The guy is doing a really, really good job for Christ, and he's not out there going, you're going to burn in hell. It only comes up in his conversation, usually in the middle of it, after he's already broke down the walls, and he doesn't even harp on it. I think you should watch more, Bob. All I'm saying, look, I'm not mad at you, Bob. I'm actually very glad you're in here talking about this. I really am. I really, really am. Because um, you want to look at somebody who's bad, look at Kenneth Copeland. That's a bad example. That's a good example of a bad uh, evangelizer. Kenneth Copeland is probably the worst person on earth to try to spread the gospel. Every time you play him, I hear the hell pitch. Okay. Does he start out with it ever? Does he hold signs and say you're going to burn in hell? Does he do that at all? And, and, and when he does talk about it, how long does he talk about it? It's not a hell pitch. He literally talks about it for less than five seconds in his whole message. He can evangelize to somebody for 20 minutes and spend literally five seconds talking about hell. And he usually only says this thing. The wages of sin is death. You're being paid for in wages for what you've done. And that's all he ever says about it. I implore you to watch more of him because it is the truth. And if you don't tell somebody what's going to happen to them because uh, as of their uh, as a result of their diagnosis, like like I don't think a doctor would say, oh, "Sorry, uh, Johnny, you have uh, cancer. Um, you have cancer. Have a gr- have a great day." No, the doctor's going to say, "You have cancer. You have this long to live, or if you don't do something, you're going to die." A doctor gives a diagnosis, and a doctor gives a remedy. Same thing that Ray does. He gives a diagnosis. Actually, he lets them self-diagnose. He doesn't even diagnose them. See, what you're talking about is somebody who's pointing a finger. Ray doesn't point a finger. He lets them self-diagnose through a series of questions. And then if it comes up about the, what, what it means to sin, he then says the wages of sin is death. That's it. That's all. I really do appreciate the conversation, though, Bob. I really, really do, more than you think. Um, Bad Moon says... I so much love debate, especially when I get to observe others doing it. I love debate. I really do. I'm not, I, look, guys, I don't want anybody lashing out at Bob. Bob has an opinion, but I, I, I do believe that his statement, I don't care about his opinion, but his statement I do believe is wrong. And I do believe is misguided. He's far from a brimstone and, 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 and deaf preacher. Trust me, I talk about those people all the time. I say it's the least effective way to get somebody to Christ. The least effective way. And Ray does the exact opposite of it. So, you know, I, I think you're wrong in your statement, uh, but your opinion, 
opinions aren't wrong or right. They're, that's why they're called opinions. Um, so anyway, folks, I, I have one more quick video that I wanted to show you here. Now, this is not a video about what we were talking about today. Not at all. I just saw this, and I'm so sick and tired of hearing, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. I'm so sick of hearing that, especially when, it's, uh, when those statements are made on ignorance. You know what I mean? Like, Palestine is not a country, all right? The only reason Palestine exists in the name of Palestine is because the Roman Catholic Church who hated the Jews, and the only reason they exist as, a, as, a, as somebody who's occupying uh, Israel is because the UN did like some kind of two-state solution. But the Jews occupied that land 1,200, 1,000 years before there was even a thing called an Arab, okay? 1,000 years before there was anything called an Arab. And the Palestine is a mix of two different words, two different countries, two different places that the Greeks, I mean, the Romans gave the name to these people and gave them this land because they hated the Jews so much. But the Jews predate Palestine by a thousand years. So I just saw this. It's kind of a funny clip. uh, And I think you'll like it. Let's let's leave off on this one. How do you define Palestine? Uh, From the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. Absolutely, absolutely. And which, uh, which river is that? Well, it's next to Egypt, so one of those. Okay. Um, okay. So look, here's, here's Israel. Where? Just there. There? Mm. It's tiny. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so the river would be... The... this one. The Euphrates. Okay, that takes up most of Iraq and Syria. Well, it's not that, then. No. Um, okay. Oh, that's the River Jordan. Ah, River Jordan. Yes, and the sea is the Mediterranean. Ah, yes, yes. So you want all of this area to be free? Yes. Of um, Israelis? Uh huh. Including Israeli Arabs? No, 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 no. All right. So just non-Israeli Arabs. Yeah. So Jews. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you've got all these Jews, and what are you going to do with them? Um, good question. Um, maybe put them in America. America, yes, of course, land of the free. Yeah, yeah. Although, mm-hmm. I did once have a very nice time in Tel Aviv. Well, haven't we all? It was a big gay pride thing. A very handsome shag fest. So maybe uh, they can stay. Okay, so gay Jews can stay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lesbians? Yes, stay. Bisexuals? Stay. And the trans? And the trans, yeah. of course. So, so I've got this right, broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. You want all of this area here to be free of heterosexual Jews. How do you define Palestine? (laughs) So basically, you just want this land free of all heterosexual Jews. Well, yeah. All right. There you go. Anyway, uh, I know that has nothing to do with what we talked about today. I want to end. uh, Jeremy, Kenneth Copeland, why the statement against him? Because he is... If there's a demon inside a preacher's body, it is Kenneth Copeland. It is Kenneth Copeland. That guy is more possessed by demons... And which is clear and obvious to me than anybody I've ever met in my life. Talk about a false preacher. Talk about a false prophet. Kenneth Copeland is the worst of the worst when it comes to spreading the gospel. Remember, he was the COVID-19. Ah, buy all my private jets because Jesus wants me to. Because Jesus wants me to buy those private jets. I'll tell you what. I bought that private jet from Tyler Perry. Gave me a good deal on that jet. That's right. Jesus wants me to fly in that private jet. 
and we're going to buy more of them. We're going to have the biggest church. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining in today. I always wait. I always wanted to do my Kenneth Copeland, uh, my Kenneth Copeland, uh, uh, impression. Uh, people are mad at me. They're like, wow, judge much? Yeah, I'm judging. I'm judging that one. Yeah, I will judge Kenneth Copeland, and I will rightfully judge Kenneth Copeland. That man is so, so bad. So, so bad. Uh, but I guess that's just my opinion. Anyway, and I will judge people who falsely preach the gospel. 100%. All right, guys, I'll let you go with that. Mike Crispy coming up next. Followed by two hours of Live from America. Thank you for being here. And remember, put God first and make sure you know what wilderness you're going to be in in your tithe times. Thank you very much. God bless. See you later. Faithfulness is clear to see. It's constant every day. In the morning, in the morning you sing Receive your mercy. Your faithfulness is clear to see. It's like the sun.